0: It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle, an hour every Saturday at 2 o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right. And we try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. It's so great to have you along. Christian's on the board. Dave is taking your calls. Kevin is supervising things. We'll be here till 3 o'clock. Then Curtis Lee will comes in for Left versus Right. You can hear us on Terrestrial Radio, good old-fashioned 770. Hopefully you'll be able to hear that in your cars also for the foreseeable future. There's some push to try to take AM radio out of people's cars. It's getting bipartisan pushback in Washington and among the citizens of this country. Or you can always listen to us on WABCradio.com. We also have a podcast version that comes out shortly after this goes off the air. It's so great to have you along. Noam was being... Generous by calling it cloudy outside, it is legit raining here in midtown Manhattan. Kind of one of those gloomy days. Good to stay indoors. Good to listen to the radio. Kind of an exciting time in that, you know, I don't really start tuning into baseball until the hockey season. Well, at least for the Islanders, is over. The Stanley Cup playoffs are still going on. Vegas beat Dallas in the first round of the Western Conference Finals last night in overtime. But the Mets seem like they're getting they're getting it together. Two games in a row, tenth inning heroics. The polar bear Alonso seems to be back in the swing. Lindor seems like he's playing well. The Yankees are also playing better. So it is. uh It looks like they're getting their act together, perhaps in the nick of time. The Yankees um, also have been playing well. They're seven and three over their last ten. Not a basketball guy, but I see the Heat. The Heat, you know, who knocked off the Knicks, they've now beaten the Celtics twice in Boston. This guy Jimmy Butler is apparently a big deal. It is a little bit surprising to me that players can have their Butlers on the court while they're playing. It seems like a little bit of an extravagance, but that seems to be going well. It's been a little bit of a rocky week for me. You recall last week I mentioned that I was dealing with some back pain. I have back spasms. and You know, one thing about listeners to this station, to my program, like, People sent in some emails and some texts, like giving ideas and what I should do, a lot of good ideas. And one idea that kept coming up over and over again is just you got to rest it, you know, move it, keep it moving, but, you know, don't exert yourself. So Sunday night, I mentioned this on the radio on Saturday. Sunday night, I had my last Beer League hockey game of the season. Our team isn't very good. We only won one game this season, but I wanted to be there for the last game. And, and I was feeling a little bit better, like it was. You know, it was loosening up. I could put my socks and shoes on without help from Jordan and I was feeling a little bit better, so I and I and I did follow this thing of like, you know, when you heat it up and you exercise and you sweat, it'll loosen up. That was a giant mistake. My my body completely rebelled. I got on the ice and after about a period I was I was just wrecked. I could not move and now my back is still a week later. I'm not a hundred percent. But I am a belief in the idea that God only gives us the challenges that we can handle. And it's been a little bit of a choppy week in the Wiener household. My dad and mom are both, as we speak, in the hospital. You know, Thank God I don't think it's anything serious. They're both tough SOBs and they're going to be fine. But one is over at NYU Langone. My mom, my dad is at, at Methodist Hospital getting great care. Both of them getting great care, but there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of, of dealing, you know they're they're not young anymore, but but it's um, it's been great. Fortunately, my back was feeling well enough that I could start participating, and my brother Jason's been helpful, and my aunt Lois. And so, um, I tell you, actually, this this actually is a good way to bring us to the first number of the week. First number of the week, and we do the numbers of the week where we kind of try to bring some context to the news of the week? One is two thousand one hundred eighty-one dollars. That's how much Florida spends on tax dollars for every one of their residents. New York spends 5,397, more than twice as much. And the reason I bring this up in the context of the healthcare challenges that my dad and mom and I have actually been facing this week is one of the things that people don't understand about New York is how much we invest in our healthcare infrastructure. You know, when I drove today from picking up my mom in Brooklyn and bringing her to an emergency room in Manhattan for reasons that have to do with what her comfort level and her doctor and things like that. We passed five hospitals, five emergency rooms. We passed on First Avenue. We passed, I guess it's Beth Israel on 15th Street, and then we passed the VA, and we passed in Park Slope. We passed. Anyway, the, the point I'm making is that there's a reason why a lot of people retire to Florida, and then when they start having health care needs, they move back to New York because we invest so much more in health care, and I'm grateful for that on days like today when uh, my family and I are both dealing with Hopefully, what are minor things. Another number this week, every year since 1972, they have asked citizens, uh, the Gallup organization has asked citizens about their confidence in the Supreme Court. And the 2023 numbers came out this week. And it is as bad as it's ever been. Um, When asked do they have confidence in the Supreme Court, 46% said only some. 36% said hardly any. It's never been higher than that. And 18% said they had a great deal of confidence. That's all. Um, the 18% is the lowest it's ever been. The hardly ever is the highest it's ever been. And this is, a, this is I mean, this is the Casey decision, but others as well. I mean, because people have come to the conclusion that, the you know, the gun control stuff, they've come to the conclusion that the, the courts are just political now, and that's bad for all of us. I thought that was an interesting number. Um, also, another number of the week was seven million. That's how many millions of dollars that John Durham, uh, as part of a special prosecution to uncover the Russia hoax. Well, he was zero for two in convictions. Didn't wind up indicting or conv- didn't wind up convicting anyone. No plea bargains. And his conclusion is the FBI should have opened a preliminary investigation instead of a full investigation. That that was the sum and substance of the report. It was really much to do about think Mueller, as you know, had, I think, 41 different convictions and and uh, pleas. Um, but one thing was interesting in the, in the Durham thing, kind of got overlooked a little bit, is, you know, it's all this talk. I can't believe they based investigation on the Steele dossier, and the Steele dossier was bogus. Well, we've known for a while that the Steele dossier was not why they opened the investigation, but finally Durham admitted it as well. So maybe that's one of the myths that can be put aside. That was that was this week. And finally, the thing that everyone has been talking about, and I want to talk about a little bit here as well, is um, in the front page of today's New York Post, 900 new migrants arrived from the southern border just yesterday alone for a total that now exceeds 67,000. And that is a lot. Um, but... To put it in context a little bit, um, Brooklyn in 2021 lost 82,000 in population, just one county. And in 2022, it slowed down a little. They lost 47,000 in population. And that's just Brooklyn. So, you know, there's been a lot of conversation around this migrant crisis. and, and, And people have said, well, people are coming to New York because we are a sanctuary city. And that is true. We are a sanctuary city. By the way, 800 wabc 800-848-9222, Wiener, at gmail.com if you'd like to email me, at Rep Wiener on Twitter, and uh, Anthony D. Wiener, I think it is, on Facebook. Anyway, so people have talked about this idea that it is a sanctuary city, but People are using it entirely incorrectly. And one of the things I would like to talk about today is just some of the myths and facts around immigration. Because I listen to the, one of the benefits of having a weekly show rather than being on every day is you get a chance to kind of sit back and listen to what people are saying, do a little research, contextualize it a little bit. And I have that benefit. So I, I'm an avid listener to 77 WABC radio. It's, I, I that's just about every host. I listen to a lot of our podcasts and. People seem to seriously misunderstand, and I don't think they're doing it intentionally, misunderstand what it means to be a sanctuary city. First of all, we've been a sanctuary city, I think, since the 1980s. And we're not alone. Many cities and states are sanctuary cities and states. It has nothing to do with benefits that migrants or immigrants get when they come to New York City or New York State. The only thing that the sanctuary city designation is just for law enforcement. And that is that when law enforcement, um, it is a policy that when law enforcement crosses paths with someone and they are a victim of a crime or they're a witness to a crime, the Sanctuary City policy says that we do not ask them about their immigration status and we don't report someone who we find out is undocumented. Now, why do we do that? We do that for law enforcement reasons. We do not want big numbers of people not cooperating with law enforcement because of their fear that cooperating will lead them to be arrested and deported or something else for for their immigration status. And I think there's like 30 uh, 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 sanctuary city states and cities. And interestingly, it was Rudy Giuliani who gave the most fervent defense of this when he was running for president in 2007, and Mitt Romney hit him on this. He said, listen, we we know how to fight crime in New York. We know how to deal with it. And he he gave some very eloquent defenses of the idea that that people who live in New York City, whatever their immigration status, should feel comfortable calling and talking to law enforcement. Does it give you, as being a, a sanctuary city, does it give you a right to some benefit? No. Does it give you a right to some house or some check or some money or some anything? No. So the next time you hear someone say, oh, it's because New York is a sanctuary city that we're in this situation that we are, that's just not the case. Um, and Democrat and Republican mayor alike have defended the sanctuary city status. It could have been changed at any time. It's only a, a, a mayoral procl- uh, proclamation, it's basically like an executive order. So Bloomberg could have changed it. Giuliani could have changed it. No, one has because it's good smart policy. Even today, it's good smart policy. But what people are kind of right about is there is a reason that New York City is a place that – New York City is is a place that today is having a lot of these migrants show up particularly on our doorstep. Now, one reason is obvious. One reason is because we're such an international city, no matter where migrants come from, chances are pretty high that they have some tie to New York City because – Migrants are coming from all over different places. One place they're kind of not coming from is Mexico. They're not Mexicans, for, by and large. A lot of Venezuelans, a lot of Haitians, a lot of Turks are coming there because of the, the problems they've had with earthquakes. Many of their homes were destroyed. A lot of Ukrainians are there. A lot of Afghans are still there because this is the this is where people can gain access to the United States most most easily. But before I get into that part of it, and I talk a little bit about that on The Middle Unplugged, which is a podcast I do. I talk about how I would fix the immigration system. We can talk about that a little bit today. But there is an element of this, and it's something called the Callahan Decree. And it also dates back, I believe, to the late 1980s. It might be been 1991. Strike that, 1991. Um, and what was it late 80s? Because it was Ed Koch. Anyway, it was a lawsuit that was brought by advocates for, for the, for the homeless. Matter of fact, the coalition for the homeless was the party is named for a homeless guy named Callahan who actually died on the streets before they had a chance to, to settle this case. And they made the argument that because of language in the New York state constitution, New York city had to provide housing as a right to anyone who wanted it in New York. And the Koch administration was so concerned that they would lose that case that they signed a consent decree, which is this legally binding agreement signed by the two parties, the Coalition for the Homeless, the City of New York, and stamped by a judge in the case that basically laid out that New York City would be the only, the only city in the entire country that had a guaranteed right to housing. So that unlike other places where if a bus of migrants comes or an individual migrant comes or an individual homeless person shows up um, and, they, and th- that city can say, listen, we'll do the best we can to connect you with services, but we can't promise anything. Unlike that, we, the people of New York City, have this guarantee for people that they can get housing in New York City. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, with 67,000 people coming to New York City, can't they go to Gary, Indiana? Or can't they go to Chicago, Illinois? There are lots of reasons. But the reason this becomes a challenge for you, the taxpayer, is because of that Callahan decree. So it's not optional for, for the mayor and for the city council to find a place for people when they come that they can sleep. It's not optional. It's something that they're required to do by court order. And what I suggest, and I know that Eric Adams has looked at this, is to go back to court. It's very difficult to break a consent decree because you basically have to have all three parties agree. But to go into court and say, listen, so much has changed since then, et cetera. I mean, that turned out that is – so if you want to blame a person, a singular person, you got to blame Ed Koch. It was his, the, his, his lawyer's. That entered into this Callahan decision. Now, back then it wasn't nearly the problem that it is today. Remember, this is the this is the eighties. You had all what was called in rem housing that people had just walked away from their buildings. Remember in the nineteen seventies, ladies and gentlemen, the Bronx is burning, that famous line that Howard Cosell said during the nineteen seventy seven, I want to say World Series. And, you know, so at the time the city had all this these buildings they owned. They turn them into interim housing. They auction them off. And then they were able to provide a lot more housing than we could today, hundreds of thousands of units. Today, we're basically at capacity. So that decision is what leads, what forces everyone's hand today. And it is a bear. I mean, Curtis and I talked about earlier this week when we filled in for Brian Kilmeade, if he and a, he he ran for mayor, I ran for mayor. If either one of us would have got elected, we would have had to deal with this problem. And there's not an easy solution. Now, a lot of people are are treating it. I mean, frankly, are using it as a, a way to be demagogues about it. And sometimes they're being just genuinely dishonest. Last week, when I was on the air, Curtis asked me about the idea that homeless uh, veterans were being kicked out of their housing so that the migrants could be moved into this hotel. Turned out that story was completely made up. It was made up by an advocate for a foundation, and it was bought by an assemblyman. Um, it turned out to be a completely made-up story. And there are other people who are just being dishonest about it because they want to use it for political gains. And I get that. I, I mean, immigration's immigration has been a political cudgel forever. There has not been a time where it hasn't been. But this notion that something is a, you know, because we're a sanctuary city or, you know, the idea that we can just say no to housing... These recent visitors, but I will say this um the one final biggest kind of myth of all of this is this thing that I hear said all the time, and we even heard it during um during the promo that no one played for uh Lindsey Graham's going to be on tomorrow with John Katz and Petitius on the cat's round ta- on the cat's round table, and he said uh, cl- close the border and DeSantis said close, he's going to close the border if he becomes the nominee. I want to talk about this idea, this final myth that we have an open border or that somebody, that there's a door that you turn open or closed. Um, That's not the case. And when we come back, we'll take some of your calls. We'll also talk a little bit. And I want to talk about one other thing. I want to talk about war that I am apparently now engaged in with Frank Murano. I'll explain that too. He's, I mean... I didn't think I was big enough to go to war with, but apparently I am. Eight hundred 84 WABC. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is the middle. Little drizzly outside, but hopefully it's sunny in your heart. See you on the other side.
0: Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weiner, he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner.
2: But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me.
0: On WABC.
1: I'm Anthony Weiner. That's Graham Parker. I'm going to dedicate that song to Kitty. It's a great rainy day song. Graham Parker and the rumor. So we're talking a little bit about immigration. And by the way, I... So here's the thing about... Fr- no, I'm not going to do the Frank thing. Let's hold off on that a little bit because that gets my blood boiling a little bit. Um, we're talking about immigration. I'm talking about some of the myths and misconceptions. We talked about the idea that a... Sanctuary City is not what people think it is. Talked a little bit about the idea about what this Callahan decision, why we're in this fix that we're in. And the one final thing I want to talk about is this whole idea of like opening and closing the border. So there's no opening and closing of the border because we have laws on the books, extensive laws on the books about who may come and go who may be citizens who may come in on various types of visas there are dozens of different types of visas everything from ones that you probably are familiar with educational visas business visas to even things like if you want to just come in and do a fashion shoot because you're a, a a model you have a special visa if you're someone that wants to come in and play this play in a sym, a, a symphony and then leave that's a special visa and one of the one of the, the so the idea of closing the border, unless you are going to go change the laws of the United States and say that all of these things we're no longer going to do for whatever period of time, um, there's no closing of the border. Now, more people have been arrested, turned around, and sent out of the country in the last several months than any time. I mean, it seems like in American history, but it's certainly any time in recent memory. And that's not necessarily, a. it's like that statistic's a little bit deceptive because it means that more and more people are trying and more and more people are probably getting through. But the idea of saying we're just not going to process anyone that comes over the border, we're not going Most of the people that are coming here to, to, almost all of them, that are coming in these buses and these migrants that are lining up at the border are people who are seeking to be considered... Uh, or seeking asylum in this country. And that's the system. that That is a legal system. And that's the one final myth I want to dismiss. That the next time you hear someone on 77 WABC describe these as illegal immigrants, they're not. Every single one of them has shown up, presented themselves to the authorities, asked for a grant of asylum, and has been told, okay, you come back at such and such date, or in some cases they're not even getting dates, but they're being told you've got to come back. Here's what your obligations are while you're here. You can't work, et cetera, et cetera. They're legal. People say, why didn't they come in like my grandparents did? Well, they're, they're, they're following a process that is in, enshrined in the law. You might not like the, the idea that we have laws granting us that a grant asylum to people who are politically persecuted, who are religiously persecuted, who are in fear for their lives, et cetera, et cetera. You might not like that. That's fine. But it's Congress that has to change that law. Joe Biden doesn't have the opportunity, doesn't have the right under the law to just say, I'm not going to let anybody in. So there. Now, there are exceptions. There are things like Title 42, which are health emergencies. And the same exact people have said, lift the health emergency so I don't have to wear a mask and then I don't have to show that I got a vaccine. Well, okay, now we lifted the health emergency, so so Title 42 is lifted. It's Congress that has to fix this. Now, I have a plan. You should go listen to my podcast, The Middle Unplug, Episode 30. I, I lay out in detail how I think you should fix this. But the idea that these people are illegal is just not right. These people have died. They're holding pieces. Look look, at, look closely the next time I show one of these videos of people climbing off buses. They're all holding a piece of paper in their hand. Now, are those are those pieces of paper for like dates years out? Yes. Although about 90%, I mean, they get a 90% return rate. People do return for that. Can they work while they're here as asylees? No. Would love for the Congress to do something about that. But that's the situation. The border is not open, I'm putting up air quotes, nor are these people illegal. You might not like what's going on at the border, and I have real problems with it. But let's remember why it's happening. It's happening because we had this obsession in the last administration with building the wall, and you've heard me say it, fine, build the wall. And we had a starving of the legal immigration system by the last administration because they didn't believe anyone should be coming in. So they underfunded and choked off all the administrative law judges, all of the courts, all the hearing o- officers. They made it. So now they, 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 when they ha- then when they came, when the Biden administration came in, they were given a three million person backlog. I and mean, Congress has to fix this. And any presidential candidate who says to you, I'm going to close the border. Okay. You know, why don't you just ask them how they plan on doing that? That's not a plan. That's not That's not leadership. That's not being honest with you. That's that's not being honest with you. So those are some of the things I want to say about what's going on with this with this crisis. And I, it's not, I mean, it is a crisis. I mean, Brooklyn, I told you, has lost five times more people than have come in, in in the last few months. But you can't just take 67,000 people who all show up, who will all have a right to housing, believe it or not, because of the way our state operates. And not think it's it's a problem. It is, and I and I, I think that that you know some of the solutions that the Adams administration come up with, I haven't been crazy about. But I I honor the idea that they're not getting enough enough support from Joe Biden, not enough support from our congressional delegation, and that our taxpayer dollars. You know, one of the things, and I said this only in jest the other day to um, to Curtis. We should take five days of housing. Figure out how much that costs the taxpayer and give a migrant that amount of money in a voucher or something like that if they go to another city. I mean, to save us a lot of money. Anyway, so let's go to some calls, 800-848-WABC, 800 848 Ava's taking your calls. Um, and Like I said, at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lee will come in, and a little later, maybe after the next break, this Frank Morano thing has me a little bit ticked off. And it goes. this goes way back to my childhood. Um I'll explain that to you. So let's uh, let's go to Lou in Long Island. Lou, welcome aboard.
2: Yes. Good afternoon. Um, all these people that are leaving Brooklyn, how they're being replaced by people that don't have jobs and they're not paying taxes. So this is going to, uh, you know, all these all these guys, and you know, I I uh, I, I appreciate they just want to work that it's going to drive down the wages in the construction industry, the healthcare care industry, um, everything, so on.
1: Yeah. Your- no, no, Lou lose on to something. One of the reasons, you know, I say that this is a problem on the left and the right have succeeded in k- killing immigration reform in the past. One of the things on the left that has happened is that labor unions have said, listen, we don't want to compete with these workers. So they've been opposed to things like temporary worker programs And the like. No, I don't believe that – I believe that overall New York City dramatically benefits from being an immigrant magnet. I believe that that's so much the way our economy has benefited. Now, up to now, we have lost tax revenue because of COVID and everything else. We have. And that's true of all cities. COVID and – we've had out-migration in New York City and New York State. um, So have a lot of places. You know our revenue is starting to come back a little bit because we're still a place that tourists want to come, but Lou's not wrong. It, this is a complicated thing when you when you say you're going to have a bunch of new people come in and work. Usually they come here because they. I mean, usually it winds up that everyone benefits. Um, uh, but but you, it's it, it's certainly not not easy. That's for sure. Let's go to Alan Yonkers. Al. Welcome to the Middle. Thanks for calling.
2: Uh, thank you, Congressman. I just wanted to say two things quickly. Uh, first off, I wanted to say for myself, it's pretty apparent that uh, Mayor Adams doesn't have a plan. Uh, in Yonkers, recently, uh, they sent some migrants up here to the Ramada in a secluded area. And a sitting councilman who's running for Republican, uh, running on the line uh, for mayor on the Republican line in the city, uh He wants the city to go file an injunction with the courts like uh, County Executive Ed Day did in Rockland so this won't continue, so we won't get more migrants. That's the one thing I just wanted to say
1: quickly. Well, based on what, Al? I mean, if someone wants to rent a hotel room, this is the United States of America. Someone wants to rent a hotel room, they're allowed to no no matter what their nationality or where they came from.
2: No, exactly. But, you know, we all want to see our fair share. Uh, the second thing I just wanted to point out quickly, and I don't knock it because what these people pay in taxes is uh, a small fortune, but you won't see migrants go to any affluent uh, villages in Nassau County or Bronxville because these individual towns' uh, zoning laws are designed to keep them out.
1: Well, that, that's probably right, and I appreciate your call, out. Al. You always bring a lot to the table. I mean, look, one of the things to keep in mind about – this population is they definitely will be in those affluent towns and villages because that's where they go to find work. You know, that's where they go to find day labor. That's where they go to find la- landscaping jobs. That's where they go to find moving jobs and the like. So they're going to go to where the, the jobs are. And I think that, you know, I don't think we're being honest with ourselves if we don't say we probably in our daily lives going about our lives probably come in contact with undocumented people all the time. We might not know exactly who they are, but they're part of our economy. There's 13 million of at least in the United States of America. They're paying taxes. Yes, they're paying taxes because they get employed using a fake Social Security number, so they're withholding taxes. Um, they're never going to see any of it. Uh, but I, I mean, listen, it's 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 complicated. One thing I do want to add that Al mentions that I've seen a lot in the newspapers, and I've seen some politicians do this: where we want to know where they're going, and we want they got to stop them. If someone says I want to go to a hotel, I'm going to go to a hotel and rent 15 rooms or 20 rooms. I'm not sure what the argument is, what the right they have to say, no, I'm not going to let you do that. Now, if they want to establish a new homeless facility for New York City in Rockland County, okay, that's different. But if you're renting rooms on a temporary basis, like any other hotel, um, I don't really see what the argument would be to um, what the argument would be. I mean, it it seems like you're allowed to do that. John in Long Island. John, thank you so much for calling.
0: Hello. How you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing well, John. Thank you for calling.
0: Right. I listen to you all the time. Um, I just wanted to say about the Jordan Neely thing. Um, They never talk about he never went to prison, sir. Regardless of those arrests that he he has, he never went to New York State prison. So that means most of his cases must have been misdemeanors or thrown out. So when they talk about him, how bad he was, they, could you please tell him to check his New York State Department of, of Correctional Services and see if he has an ID number, which he doesn't. So I just wanted to. Yeah, no, know that. No, I mean, John, like
1: you, yeah, you make, I actually raised that point when we did an episode on the Daniel Perry, Jordan Neely case is that, When you see someone who basically lives or spends a lot of time in the, in the subways to say that he got arrested 43 times. Well, whenever the, the cops confront someone who is, they confront someone who is either being, you know, sleeping on the train, pissing on the train, not being nice. When they get called, they have only one arrow in their quiver and that's to arrest the guy. Um, but I think that's right. Look, a lot of this is going to come out if there's ever a trial. Which I am not one hundred percent sure there's going to be. I'm not sure the grand jury is going to actually indict Daniel Perry. Um, if if there is if there's ever a trial, some of this stuff will come out. Um, but it only comes out. Here's the other thing about about this. Again, I don't I don't want to get bogged down on that because we're talking about immigration. But the thing to know about that is that's only relevant in one instance, and that is if Daniel Perry knew about the criminal record of Jordan Neely, which no way he did, because then it would go to a state of mind that I figured I had to. He was a dangerous man, and I had to. Um, that's why I, I, I put him in a chokehold, et cetera. But if, otherwise, it has no relevance to the case, legally speaking. Uh, next is Tony. Tony in Clifton, New Jersey. Thank you so much for calling.
3: Hello, Congressman Weiner. How are you? I'm
1: well. Thanks for calling again.
3: I have, you know, it's great. I love this whole topic. I learned so much about the Callahan decision, the Biden came into 3 million backlog. Very interesting. So I have. Two questions and just one comment on Frank Morano. So I'll give you the Frank Morano comment first. My word for 2022, which I love every every month I try to learn a new word. So think of Frank Morano as obtuse and mm. I hope that makes you feel better about what's going on. <laughs> and I do love Frank, I listen to him. So I'm just being objective. So my questions are, um, do sanctuary cities? I'll say them together, and then you could answer, and then I'm gone. Do sanctuary cities get a tax benefit? And what's your comment on vetting, border vetting? You know, people. Some people are concerned because they get the sense there was no vetting at the border. So,
1: did well, did you say that the tax benefit of a sanctuary city
3: is there a tax benefit?
1: Oh no, no. There's no. It's not really. Thank you, Tony. I'll I'll, I'll get to both questions for you. The, no, the the sanctuary city thing is more just basically. A law enforcement policy that places have that, you know, that they've just – look, there used to be – it used to be in a real extreme – you know, there are some people that take a really extreme position. They say defund the, the INS. So funny. The left and the right – and I've done episodes on this. Left and the right basically have kind of come, found that they love each other because they both want to defund law enforcement. The left wants to defund the INS. They want to defund the police. The right wants to defund the IRS. They want to defund the FBI. It's like – anyway, but but no, it's more just a policy that local cities and states have. Now, it, you can, if you want, go to Congress and say, I feel so outraged about this. I'm going to pass a law to somehow punish them and say they can't get federal law enforcement money. But there's none of that that goes on. Because but generally speaking, conservatives and liberals – um Democrats and Republicans, both who have been mayors of the of big cities, have said this is a smart thing to do. Ask your neighborhood cop, ask your neighborhood beat cop if he had to start doing the job of being an INS officer on top of everything else. I mean their jobs are tough enough and the second question um Tony asks is what kind of screening gets done not a lot, not a lot of screening gets done they 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 put them through the system to make sure they 're not on a terrorist watch list if there is a prima if there is someone that had um, been excluded before and they still have them on the list as someone who is excluded. They'll exclude them again. Um, not an enormous amount of vetting that gets done. And you can argue maybe they should do more. The, 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 the challenge is if you say they want to do more vetting, which is a completely reasonable position to have, if you say that there should be more vetting, then, um, that means, that means you need more resources at the border. Now, I think there should be more resources at the border. One of the things that the Republicans said they want to cut by 22 percent is the legal immigration processing at the border because they think somehow that's being tough on immigration. No, if you have a whole bunch, and I talk about this in the podcast, if you have a whole bunch of track, of, of trailer, you know, Winnebago's down there with administrative officers from, from um, immigration in there, from Border and Custom Patrol in there, all lined up. And you say you're going to, the lines might be long. We're going to do preliminary screening of everyone right now. We'll reduce by 70% people that are going to have full hearings because we can say immediately that you're not eligible for asylum. And then they're escorted out of the country. That, but that means investing in some, that means investing at the border. And I think that we should. So we're going to go to a break. 800-848-WABC, 800 When we come back, I got to get something off my chest about, about Frank Murano and your, Second or third favorite sandwich. I don't even know if it's a sandwich. we got to work that out, too. It's Anthony Weiner. It's The Middle. So great to have you along.
0: It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He
2: was a really bad guy.
0: Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner. Um... I'm not a big fan. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner.
2: And yards from the cyclone. Every time I turn and look around, I realize how much I love this roller coaster town. New York's the place where everybody's here from the human race. Where they lift you up when you're feeling down. That's why I love this.
1: Welcome back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's Garland Jeffries, Roller Coaster Town. Another guy who sings some great odes to New York City. All right, so here's the thing. We'll get back to the immigration thing in a minute, but I want to get this off my chest a little bit. So, so you know, you you always hear about these feuds that guys get into on the radio, and sometimes they're contrived, and sometimes there's actually some. Now that I've been here a little while, there's like some truth to them. So, so. um and I, you know, I, I, you know, Curtis kind of mentors me a little about this stuff. He says, uh, you know, no one ever takes a run at you unless you're doing something right. And so this this program on Saturdays at from two to three, the middle, um, has had some very, and, and I just want to say thank you to all of you for this. Has had some really dramatic growth. As a matter of fact, by percentage, it's the it's the biggest growing um, show I think on on the whole the whole station because it started out. And Saturdays used to be kind of sleepy and. Now it's been built up with some great local program, and this is, I'm I'm proud to say, we've been doing really, really well. All right, so fast forward, there is, um, there is, you might be aware of this. There is a certain um, jingle that I have been hearing since I was three, four, five years old. People have been, people have been singing it to me in the schoolyards, I still sometimes hear it and if wiener, everyone would be in right. you get the idea. Ask my wiener. And so and so I have been hearing that forever. like as a matter of fact, I probably heard the last original Wiener joke when I was in the fifth grade. I don't you know even hear them anymore. So, recently, the Oscar Mayer Corporation announces they are getting rid of the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile. Have you seen this? I think you had. It's like a giant hot dog shaped vehicle. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting Christian. Turn this down a little bit. It's this, it's this hot dog shaped vehicle. Vehicle that travels around to promote, and it's called the Mobile. And when I ran for mayor, Oscar Mayer would follow me around in it to try to get some attention and whatever else it is. Well, now, after an or, a really organized campaign among his listeners, and Frank Morano has a lot of listeners. He's syndicated around the country. He's got, like, his ratings were created. Like, every, Frank Morano is a legitimate giant on the radio. So he has been organizing his listeners to petition to change that vehicle to the Frank mobile. And I thought it was funny. You know, I'm on his Facebook page. I'm like, ah, this is funny. This is Frank, just being frank or whatever it is. Um, And now Oscar Mayer has done it. They have changed the, the Wiener mobile to the Frank mobile. And part of their explanation that they said in their Press release was that out of concern of being associated with me. So Frank, understanding the corporate world, understanding he's now succeeded in persuading them to change. Now, all I have to say about this is if you were going to stop with the wiener thing, you should have stopped when I was in the fifth grade. Now I'm kind of like fine with it. It's like a little bit of my my thing. So Oscar Meyer is changing it. To the Frank mobile. Angelo so Frank's doing this victory dance. And when I confront him about this, he says, Oh, it's just a joke. I didn't think they were really going to do it. I would never say an ill word about, about Frank, even if he is obtuse. I would never say an ill word about, it. he's, he's, he's an icon around here. And he's going on Twitter and gloating about it. Look at the big victory, you know, and finally there's going to be someone with credibility that this is named after. And I gotta tell you, objectively speaking, Frankmobile, it's a lousy name. Wienermobile is a thing. That's like, uh, okay, I get it. Wienermobile. If you go, if you stop someone from who's a tourist in New York City outside the studio here and says, what do you think the Wienermobile is? And he says, I don't know. It's probably a big hot dog thing. You ask them what a Frankmobile is. they probably say it's a, it's a Chevy Caprice that drives around Frank Murano. Now, here's the upshot. Apparently now there's been a little backlash to the backlash that Oscar Mayer is having some regrets because I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. That works. That's the thing that everybody knows, even though I just told Christian to play it. He's like looking at me like I had two heads like he didn't know it. But anyway, that's a long. So this has been around since the 1930s, a long time. I mean, what more indignity do I need? I mean, we have an intro to this show now that talks – that two pre- United States presidents say mean things about me. And now they take away the, the hot dog vehicle because it's got my name on it. I don't know. Just, just, am, am I now – am I beyond satire? Is that the idea? We can't make fun of Wiener anymore. It's like, ah, it's done. It's passe. I mean, I don't have the ability, you know, Frank has all these has, has loyal listeners who do whatever he says, Frank heads, whatever they're called. I get people who text me and who email me and say how to take care of my bad back. I need to step up my game. So I don't know. I got to think about how to exact revenge or even if I want revenge. I mean, Jordan Wieners. my son's going to wake up not knowing the Oscar Mayer Wiener song now. I mean, it's Americana, baby. And we'll be right back.
2: A big parade is so inspiring.
0: Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weiner, he was
2: fantastic.
0: That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner.
2: But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me.
0: On WABC.
1: And welcome back to the middle. That's Busted bringing us in with uh, 3000, year 3000. Let's go to a few more calls. Getting a few texts here. Even my friends are siding with Frank. They're like, he, he's like, Frank movie doesn't sound so bad, actually. I'm like, yes, it does. If Frank is. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I admit, I have had a tortured relationship with my name. When I ran for office at uh, SUNY Plattsburgh in upstate New York, I was running for student government. Um, my slogans were, vote for Wiener, he'll be frank. Uh, vote for Wiener, he's on a roll. What else did I use? Oh, vote for Wiener, he'll relish your vote. Was it for? Oh, the fourth one was, vote for Wiener, he comes from a long line of Wieners. A long string of, I don't know what it was. Anyway, but I, I, and, and you know, I, I embrace it. I embrace it. I actually, when I ran for office for, for real for city council in 1991 and then for Congress in 1998, I got more questions about the Anthony than I got about the Wiener. You know, like, are you Italian? Are you, what are you? Um, so I've, 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 I've had different relationships with my name and now I like it. You know, Jordan sometimes asks me about it. I, I think I told this story on the air when he, you know, he started playing in a travel hockey team and they put your name on your jersey. And you can also get your name put on um, on your bag. And uh, he's like, can I have my first, <laughs> my first name? Uh, it was cool. All right, let me take a couple more questions and then uh, a couple more calls, and then we've got to go to, uh, to Curtis and left versus right at 3 o'clock. Let's go to Harris in Manhattan. Harris, thank you so much for calling.
0: Anthony, you know, I was going to call about the border, but now I have a, a- theory about your little thing with frank here can i do you mind fire away I, fire away i think this whole thing is a scam let me say why uh, i listen to frank a lot on the podcast i don't miss much of the show i have not heard one bit about this we mobile thing so i think someone like curtis maybe saw a press release from oscar meyer and put two and two together to say hey let me make up this thing huh. and i think it's all uh, not true
1: all right, all right. Well, What is your point there about immigration? Oh boy, a, a few
0: basic things, Anthony. We don't have a barrier, right? And and Trump was going to sure a we do, wall sure and, we do, sure we do.
1: We have we have hundreds of miles of barriers and walls. But but ha- the people are are walking in, right? Well, because you can't put a wall everywhere. Can't put a wall on the Rio
0: Grande. But but so so we as a country are sitting there just hoping people don't come in and being happy when supposedly half. It's only half now after the the ending of Title Forty Two. Oh, it's only half now. Oh, the left wing press says, oh, it's half now it's, it's to make people feel. Better. Yeah, it's it's
1: a real problem. It's a real problem. I mean, look, th- th- don't don't get me wrong. It's it's a problem at the border, but it's a problem of the making of the legislative branch and the executive branch. I mean, listen, you can. I I go back in this century. I go back in in the podcast I just released, The Middle Unplugged. I go back to two thousand seven. 2000, uh, uh, um, 2003, 2007, 2013, I go through all of the ways that immigration reform has crumbled. And there are reasons, there are reasons. Now, they're more more on the Republican side than on the Democratic side because Republicans are so amped up about this idea. I can't do anything that looks like amnesty. I mean, no, I don't think you should do amnesty, but you do have to acknowledge there are 13 million people here who are undocumented. We're not going to round them all up. I mean, we have problems, but this whole idea of a politician says to you or a radio host says to you, we should close the border. I think, you know, Harris makes makes a good point. It's a, it's a practical impossibility. We you know what we need to have is the lawmakers of this country to come up with laws to keep up with the changes of immigration policy. We need have enough money for enforcement I am fine building wall. I think we should have we should, we should should install the scanners we've already paid for to get human smuggling and drug smuggling coming through in trucks. We should have administrative officers right there at the border to turn people around in weeks, not a matter of years. There are things we can do. It's really been great having you along. Um, it's a rainy day outside. There's some health things going on in my family. I got a text about my mom. She's doing a lot better. I'm grateful for that. Thank you. A few of you have texted me already about my parents. I appreciate it. It's really great to have you along. I really want to thank Christian and Ava and Kevin for helping us through this this episode. And at three o'clock, we're going to have Curtis Lee we'll come in for Left versus Right. We're going to talk a little more about immigration, and we'll also he has something to add about Wienermobiles, hot dogs, and hot dog eating contests. I'm Anthony Wiener. Thank you so much for joining me on the Middle.